Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast in the class today is sponsored by Shai Mahani, dedicated in honor of the blood drive and all those who donate. Uh, our, uh, our synagogue, Be'ezat Hashem, will be having, uh, under the leadership of Shai Mahani, who arranged it, a blood drive on this Monday, August 30th, from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. Sign up at ejsny.org uh, backslash blood drive. Um, you can find it on our website as well. What a big mitzvah to do, a mitzvah of doing chesed, literally bigufo. The rabbis tell us that uh, a person does an act of kindness, you can do kindness and give tzedakah with your money. But then you can also do kindness, not just with an emissary or with a medium, but with your actual, with your body and your soul. So you could chop wood for someone who's freezing cold in the winter in a forest, that's doing chesed bigufo. But the highest form of doing chesed begufo is when you are literally giving part of your guf to someone else, to give blood to someone else, to donate a kidney. Uh, what a magnificent example of doing chesed begufo. So that's going to be this Monday, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. Please sign up so we know exactly when to schedule you. We can save you the time and the effort. You could literally save a life uh, uh, doing this process. As well, uh, Breakfast in the Class, dedicated in loving memory of uh, Joey's mother, uh, Sarah Tawel, Aleah Shalom Yudunishmat, Sarah Bat Mazal, sponsored by Joey and Ruthie Tawel, Ruach Adonai Tinichena Began Eden, Ibuchopanotzer Shochon Melchalarim Silchanatur Omar Amen. Baruch Atal Melchalam Shehakon Hiab Baro. Rabotai, I want to share with you a beautiful, beautiful idea from Rabbi Barzan. We know in this week's parasha, we read. When you will come to the land of Eretz Israel, and you will plant and you will you know develop the earth, etc., etc., and then the tree gives its first fruits. And when the tree gives its first fruits, what does a person do? They tie a string around the first fruit. They bring it to the Beit Hamikdash, and they uh, they give what is what could only be called a soliloquy. They start speaking about Arami Oved Davi a long time ago. Uh, someone tried to destroy the Jewish people. We went down to Egypt. We were treated as slaves. We wandered in the desert. God saved our lives, providing us with everything we needed uh, during that difficult time. And finally, here we are in the land of Israel. We conquered the land. We have this land. And now we're planting and we've brought, Baruch Hashem, our first fruits uh, to hear to God, to the Beit HaMikdash, to give to the Kohanim, to the poor. Uh, uh, and, uh, and what a mitzvah it is. The word Bikurim shares its root with the word Bechor, which means the firstborn. The first fruit uh, uh, is, is considered Bikurim, and that's brought to the Beit HaMikdash. Now listen to this, because this is so beautiful. The Mishnah tells us that when the person would come and bring this one uh, fruit to the Beit HaMikdash, um, they would make a tremendous deal out of this. The guy gives his whole speech. Every person actually in line. It's not like, you know, sometimes you go to a synagogue, and one guy says, Leotzi, and everyone's Yotze with his one Gomel. And sometimes it's a hassle. You know, 25 people go up to do gomel. You ever been in a minyan like that? And someone says, just someone do the beberacha for everybody. Right? Is that how it works? Soon everyone's going to go back to deal. They're going to go from deal. They're going to go back to Brooklyn. They're going to go back to the city. And there's going to be a long line of people doing, uh, doing gomel. So at some stage, someone's going to say, you know what? One person's going to do gomel and do it for everybody. Bikurim, it wasn't 20 people or 50 people or 100 people. It was thousands and hundreds of thousands of people, every person came to the Beit HaMikdash and gave the same speech. Arami Ove Davi, you know, Unbelievable. 
What every person has to do is not only that, the rabbis tell us that the rich people would spend a lot of money and they would bring all these beautiful fruits. They would bring them in baskets of gold and silver and it would become a spectacle. And they would sing and the Levi'im and the Kohanim, there would be music. And so much so that the Gemara says that if a person sees the bringing of the Bikurim, he never saw anything like, if you never saw that, you never saw anything beautiful in your life. Now listen, I want to understand something. Rabbi Barzan asked the following question. We know the Mishnah says, Elu Advarim, these are certain things, En Lahem Shi'ur. There's certain mitzvot that there's no minimum amount that you could give in order, or you could do in order to fulfill the mitzvah. One of the mitzvot that does not have a minimum shi'ur is the mitzvah of Bikurim. So I have a question. I don't understand. Bikurim is one fruit, you've done the mitzvah, correct? You're playing music, everyone's going crazy, amazing. But you all know that there's a much more famous mitzvah associated with tzedakah, which is a far more, uh, uh, you know, a far greater amount of money that's given. Ma'aseh, we know, is 10%. You ever saw an apple tree? How many apples you get from an apple tree in a season? Hundreds? One apple out of hundreds. That's a very small percentage. And we're all going crazy because the guy gave one apple. When it comes to ma'aseh, you're giving 10% of, your, of everything you earned. That's a much higher amount. And we don't find that they're playing music and you're bringing baskets of gold and silver and everyone comes and they, you, everyone gets, gets to give a speech until they play you off like at the Oscars. Right? What's going on? How come for a much smaller gift we're making such a big deal? Not only that, I'd like to ask one other uh, thing. We know the Pasuk says, Bereshit bara elukim. In the beginning, God created. The Midrash says, what does it mean, Bereshit, God created? Bereshit. In Reshit, God created. And the Midrash says, Bishvil Yisrael, Shinikra Reshit. You know what it means, Bereshit? In the beginning, God created. It means for something that was called Reshit, God created the world. The Jewish people are called Reshit. They're the firstborn, so to speak, of Borei Olam. Okay? And yet the Midrash continues and says, You know what else was worth creating the whole world for? Bikurim, because that's also called. Reshit, the first of your fruits. What's the big deal already? The guy gave an apple. Let's all calm down for a second. Relax, have a Xanax. What's that? One apple? Come on. The answer is magnificent. It's true, Maaser is much more. But we're learning from here a lesson which actually, it applies to a wide understanding of Judaism, not only to Sedaqah, but we learn its message in the parashah of Sedaqah. What we're learning is, Rabotai, that often it's not about how much you're giving, but about how you're giving and about when you're giving. The guy who gives Bikurim, it's true he's only giving one apple, but when that apple comes out and he ties a string around it, how many apples does he have in the bank? Zero, it's the first one. And he's giving away the first apple that he has with nothing behind it in the bank. He, he's worked the whole year, hasn't been able to show one profit. And this first profit, you want him to give it away? Do you know what that takes from a person to be able to give that one apple when you have none? This little piggy has none? Do you understand? When it comes to Maaser, when does the obligation of Maaser start? After you've brought in all of the fruits, all everything, all the produce, it's already in your storehouses. You have 100% of your profits now you give 10. It's a lot. But you know what? You're secure. You're relaxed. You're calm. 
It's a very different ball game. Much easier to give a lot when you have a lot. But when you have nothing, even giving the tiniest amount is a very impressive thing. So when it comes to giving tzedakah, it's not necessarily about how much you've given, but about how you give and in what circumstances you're giving. My friends, the same thing is true also for mitzvot. A lot of times a person feels they've had, and I know I'm, I, I feel this way, I'm sure many people feel this way. Previous years, I've grown much more. I gave much more tzedakah. I went to many more minyanim. I studied much more Torah. But the truth is, in a year of COVID, in a year where people were locked in their house for a significant portion of the year, how could you judge yourself only quantitatively? Yes, you learned less, but you also were able to go out less. And if you had one hour, and you, you expected to give that one hour, when a person does Bikurim, that's held in such high regard, even if it's a tiny amount, because of the circumstances and how hard it was to be able to give that one fruit. My friends, don't be down on yourself. A person sometimes looks at themselves and they think, they feel terrible. Comes Rosh Hashanah, comes Kippur, they feel like the worst, like zift, like nothing. Why? Because I, I could have done much more. It's true that you could have done much more. It's true. But remember Bikurim. How hard was it this year? How difficult was it to date? How difficult was it to be alone? How difficult was the uncertainty? When you're unsure how your business is going to react, and you cut back for tzedakah, Borei Olam says, you know what? What you gave this year, I consider it, like you gave in other years, much, much, much more. My friends, this idea doesn't only extend to tzedakah, but it extends, like I said, to all other mitzvot. But I want to share one other point based on this idea as well. You know, uh, there's a great line from Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter used to say, in the beginning, before I studied Musar, before I learned about self-betterment, before I learned all the things about improving our moral and ethical character, he said, I used to get angry at people a lot. I used to be upset with people a lot of the time. Once I started to learn Musa, I realized that, you know what, I was angry and upset with everybody else, but I was never upset with myself. I never did anything wrong. Everybody else was always in the wrong. I never did anything wrong. He said, I started to learn Musar, and you know what I suddenly realized? That actually, I got upset at other people, but I also got upset at myself. I also realized that half the time I was saying it was everyone else's fault, it was really, I also had a part in it. Like, yes, he, got, he said something not nice to me, but you know what? Who said something first? I said something first. So you know what? I was also to blame. I started learning Musar. I also was upset a little bit with myself. After I learned Musar for a while, said Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, I stopped being upset at anybody else at all. I judged everyone else only favorably. And I was only upset with myself. My friends, the harder it is to judge someone favorably, the more reward a person gets in that instance. And I want to explain what this means. It's not a zero-sum game. It doesn't mean you have to look at a guy who's doing something wrong and say, this guy's doing a mitzvah. That's 100% favorably. Even 60%, even 40%, even 20%. Even if you say, not he's doing something right, but you know what, they don't know, he doesn't know better. Even if you say, he knows better, but you know what, the pressure he's under must be unbelievable. I was recently talking to someone who was very upset at their parent over something. And I said to her, I don't know how you could blame your parents in this situation. Don't you know, and don't you understand 
what this whole situation that you're going through, you know what it's done to them? Your parents are suffering. And when people are suffering, what do they do? They try to protect themselves. Even if that's not a good answer, even if it doesn't make them free and clear, that little bit is like the Bikurim because you are suffering right now. You're in pain. You feel mistreated. You feel judged. You feel angry. And in this moment, if you could even do a little bit to be able to minimize the negative feelings and interpretation you have of them, that's also something very beautiful. So anything you could take off of their scale is something magnificent. And our rabbis tell us that the harder it is, the more reward we get, lefum tzara agra, but not only that, that it's an unbelievable tool to use uh, when we come towards the days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. You know, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is a time where HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides how He's going to judge us. And the rabbis say, that a person is easy when it comes to things that have been done against him, if he says in the very heavenly courts, when it comes time to judge you, you know what Hashem says? You want to know how we're going to judge him? Let's go down and look and see how did he judge others. If the person judged others favorably and gave them the benefit of the doubt and was understanding about how difficult their situation was and didn't yell or scream or put them down about it, Hashem in turn also does that for them. And you know what? Sometimes I think to myself, to do teshuvah can be very hard. To change a character trait, Shema Yisrael. It's very difficult to completely change yourself. You're an angry person to turn yourself into a happy, relaxed person. Rabbi Yisrael Salanta says to change one midah is harder than learning all of the shas. That's an unbelievable statement. So my friends, you're coming to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, it's so hard to change it. What are you going to do? You know what the answer is? Get yourself someone on the inside. Pay off the judge. Get your friends to sit in the jury. How do you do that? You do that by judging other people favorably. But my friends, my rabbi used to say something unbelievable. Judging favorably doesn't mean that you're being naive. It actually means that you're looking and watching with your eyes wide open. Because most of the time, we all know, you're not seeing the whole story. Don't you know that? Someone comes and tells you a story. This guy did this, this guy did that. What do you know if the guy's there alone telling you one side of the story? What do you know for sure? That it's only one side of the story. Everybody knows that. None of us are stupid enough to believe everything that someone tells us about somebody else, right? The same thing is true, my friends, about our very own eyes. The same way that guy saw it from one perspective, you, in your own life, are also only seeing it from one perspective. I read a beautiful story just recently from Rabbi Eliyahu Nachum. He writes an unbelievable story. There's a, a guy who decides that he's going to be the one running the minyan in a, in a small shul in, uh, in Eretz Israel, The regular gabai, the regular person running the minyan was away. So he's going to take over the job. So he's trying to piece together the minyan. Give everyone, give this guy to open, give this guy aliyah. You know, but he doesn't really know what he's doing. He's feeling a lot of pressure. And it comes time, it's chola mo'ed. It's, you know, the period in between the two holidays. And he sees a religious guy come in to pray with them. And he's got the hat and he's got the kippah and he's got... You know, he looks very religious, you know, and he says, you know what, maybe this guy, he could read, he walks over to him, he says, please, could you help us out? He says, we need someone to read the Sefer Torah. You look like a very learned person. Well, all of us here, we don't really know all that much, but you look like a very religious, a learned man, a yeshiva man. Is it possible, could you read the Sefer? 
Could, could you read the Sefer? Do, could you, do you know how to read the Sefer? So the man says to him, in Hebrew, he says, Im kesef With money, I know. The guy, his steam coming out of his ears. He says, Lo, toda. No, thank you. Thank you. I'll read it. He's so angry, opens up the Sefer, fumbles his way through the reading. He's so angry. He comes home to his house. He says, you don't know what happened in shul today. Disgrace. I'm running the minyan. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm giving this guy, this guy, a religious guy walks in. I ask him if he could read the Sefer on Chol HaMoed. And the guy tells me, oh, I'm Kesef, I need Yodea. I know how to read with Kesef. So he says, so I read the Torah. But what kind of money-hungry, selfish person is it? Who gets paid to read the Torah for three minutes? In Kesef, he knows. That's how he knows. He only knows what money. He's cursing this religious guy out. The son, who was a little bit more learned than his father, he says, Abba, lo evanta, you didn't understand. On Chol HaMoed, one of the readings in the Torah, one of the days is, im kesef talvet ami, if you lend my people money. The guy was telling you, you asked him if he knows the reading, he was telling you, I know the day im kesef, he didn't know which day it was. And he was telling you, if that's the reading, I know that reading, I could read it, no problem, I'm prepared. But you assumed that that's what he was saying because of some preconceived notion, because of a script that was already in your head. So what you do? You interpreted the thing, the story, the way you wanted to see it, and you saw a religious guy as a money-hungry guy, and that's what you assumed he was saying. But you got it wrong. Sometimes we get so angry. And you know what? The difference is only im and aim. Im and aim. Im with an aleph is uh, im, if. Aim with an ayin means with. He thought he was saying with money, but actually he was saying if money. He was relating the pasuk uh, itself. Oftentimes that is the case. How many times have you seen something that is so, it seems to be so insensitive, but actually it's, it wasn't meant at all. There was once a fellow uh, who was a big donor, a big supporter of tzedakah. And unfortunately this fellow, this man, he has Parkinson's. And... Um, and what's it called? And, uh, and he messaged me, he says, you know, would you like to get together? I'd love to, I'd love to have a chat with you. Maybe we could learn something. So I wrote him back. I wrote on my phone and I sent him the message. And as I sent the message, I started saying, oh no, oh no, I'm looking at the phone. I'm screaming. I can't believe it. What did I write? You know, your phone, sometimes you write something and it changes autocorrect. So I wrote to him, Sure, tzaddik. And somehow when I was swiping on the keyboard, it changed the word sure to shaking. And I called a man who has Parkinson's shaking tzaddik. Oh, wow. You can't get it back. Text is not like WhatsApp, but you can still do, you know, delete it a second later. So I wrote back, excuse me, autocorrect, I wrote... But could you imagine the guy gets it? He thinks to himself, what an insensitive person, making fun of my illness, making fun of my disease. Think to yourself, why would the guy do that? Why would the guy say that? He walked into shul. You think it's outlandish to ask someone, to charge someone, to read the sefer for two minutes? Well, maybe he also feels that way. Maybe he also, ask. Sometimes when we're invested or we're upset or we're angry, we, can't, we don't feel we could judge favorably. So the Torah is teaching us. 
If you make even a small effort, sometimes you'll find out that the opposite is true. I read a beautiful story from Rav Moshe Tuvia Leaf, and I'll end with this. Rav Moshe Tuvia Leaf was once uh, on a plane from Israel, and he's sitting in the aisle. As he sits in the aisle, he sees that there's two women. They're not very religious. Their hair's not covered. They're not wearing uh, skirts or long sleeves. They're regular, uh, traditional or secular Jewish women. One of them is Israeli. One of them is American. One sitting by the window, one sitting in the middle seat. Anyway, they sit down. The rabbi turns over to these two ladies, and he says to them, excuse me. And he could see already they're looking at him. Oh, no. This rabbi with the beard, he's going to tell me this, he's going to tell me I have to cover my hair, and I can't have a lace top shaitel, and he's going to tell me uh, my sleeves, and he's going to ask me if, I could, if he could cover us in blankets. So they're already assuming all the worst. And the rabbi says to them, he says, excuse me. He says, I just want to tell you, you know, I'm sitting here in the aisle, and the aisle seat is a privilege. You can get up, you can go, you can do whatever you like. It's very easy, you get up, no problem. He says, but I call the aisle seat the excuse me seat. Because along with the privilege of sitting in the aisle seat, you can get up whenever you want, comes a responsibility that if someone says excuse me, they need to get up to stretch their legs, they need to go to the bathroom, that you have to get up. He says, so I just wanted to tell you, if at any time during the flight, you know, you want to get up, you want to go to the bathroom, you want to do something, just please say excuse me. He says, even if I'm sleeping, don't say, oh, he's a rabbi, you know, he's a religious guy. Please, uh, it's my pleasure. Even if I'm sleeping, wake me up because uh, I'm sitting in the excuse me seat. They speak for two minutes, very nice conversation, chalas. This, you know, they get off the plane. That's it. The rabbi has a sleep. They get, he get up. I'm sure they excuse me a few times. He gets into the airport and he sees this lady, the Israeli lady with the American lady, standing with an Israeli soldier. And the woman's pointing, pointing, pointing. And, and as he walks by, he overhears this Israeli woman say to her Israeli soldier son, Zeharav, this is the rabbi. Zeharav, this is the rabbi that I told you about. That told me that it's no problem to get out of my... To get out of this, this is the rabbi. If all of the religious people were like him, there would never be any problems. My friends, sometimes you make a Kiddush Hashem, you know, you have to help an old lady move her whole apartment. Sometimes you do a Kiddush Hashem, it costs you a lot of time, costs you a lot of effort, costs you a lot of money. And sometimes to make a tremendous Kiddush Hashem, what does it cost you? Two minutes to be a nice person, to tell someone, um, don't worry about it, you know, this is the excuse me seat. May Hashem bless us to always make the effort. And if it's hard, to make a small effort. And that tiny effort in the difficult circumstance, the bikurim, when you don't have any money in the bank yet, will be equated and will be considered by Borei Olam like the ma'aseh that you give when you finally have something uh, uh, standing behind you. Baruch Adonai Amen.